0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. Well, we are back to Ephesians, where we had taken a a short break for Easter. And Ephesians, as we've been looking at, has all been about this idea of Surrender. This idea of growing closer to to God. This idea of recognizing who God is. Why we should even care. Why we should even matter. Why we should even praise Him, and what that has brought us to. And I'm going to be honest. I was a little nervous about. Um, the passage that we're going to read today, because it's it's one that I, I know that not everybody will fully enjoy, and so I was a little nervous preparing for it. I was nervous, and and, and we got really lucky because when I had originally thought this was going to happen, is when the missionaries came, and so then we had that wonderful time, and I didn't have to approach this topic at all. But then here we are again, where to be faithful to scripture, I'm not going to skip over it. And so while I'm a little nervous, it gets down to to really what it means to be a Christian. And so Paul has been walking us through why we should even care, why we should be a Christian, leading us all to this point. And now here is kind of the, the change that happens as we jump into the second half of Ephesians, where we talk about what does it practically mean for us to be a Christian? What does it actually look like? How do we walk this walk? And my question this morning is, is how do you feel about Rules. Who likes rules? Raise your hand if you enjoy rules. That's what I thought. One and a half people raised their hands. Okay, two and a half people raised their hands and said that they, they like rules. Some people like them, but others don't. There, there are some people that really enjoy having guidelines and they like to know where their lane is because then they are extremely productive in their lane. Give me the guidelines, just tell me what my the do's and don'ts are of this job and then leave me alone and I will stay in my lane and do it. And then there's other people that don't like any guidelines whatsoever. They want to feel free. They, they don't want any rules whatsoever because for them, they are more productive that way. And generally speaking, people like rules when the rules work for them, and they don't like rules when the rules don't work for them when it goes against them. Several years ago, I was I was a referee at this youth sports competition, and the teens were all playing Ultimate Frisbee. Do you know what Ultimate Frisbee is? Some of you, half of you, yeah, you kind of know. So Ultimate Frisbee, if you're not familiar, it's it's like if you were to take soccer and football and combine them together, and this is Ultimate Frisbee. So it's, it's a very fast-paced game where there are two teams competing against each other, and like soccer. Soccer, it turns over very quickly and you're just you're running nonstop between them. But like football, the goal is to get to your end zone and instead of a ball, you use a frisbee. So you're throwing a frisbee to your team and once you catch it, you have to stand and then you can't move and you have to throw it to advance across the field. And so I was the referee for this and the competition had gone on for a couple of days. And now we are in the semifinals. The winner of this game will go on to the championship game and so as you can imagine, everybody was a rather stressed, parents included, coaches, they, they were all very stressed about this game that they had worked so hard to get to. And during the game, there was this pass thrown for, from a team, let's call them Team Blue. So Team Blue, they, they threw the Frisbee and one of their teens caught it and they're really close to the end zone and they come down and they were partially out of bounds. And so as a good referee, I said out, of which the the coach of the Blue team was extremely upset with me for calling his person out because they were half in, half out. But again, according to the rules. That means they are out. And so the coach of the blue team was livid, extremely angry and upset with me. But then the the team of, let's call the other team the red team. So the red team coach jumps in. It was like, hey, calm down, coach. The referee made a good call, which was me. That was all fair. Obviously, if you had eyes, you could see, right? And then there's that that I shouldn't tell you this, but these were Christians playing against each other and they were yelling and screaming at each other. So then fast forward in the game. Again, remember the red coach was on my side. Fast forward, same thing happens, but reverse on the other team. The red team throws it, red team catches it, lands out of bounds. And so again, I say out. Now this is towards the end of the game. It's like a make or break moment, at which point the coach of the red team starts swearing at me, starts like, top of his lungs screaming at me, calling me names because I apparently was blind. I didn't see that he was out of bounds. And in that moment, you can see how when the rules were in his favor, the red coach was all for it. Nope, letter of the law obviously was out, no grace whatsoever. But the moment the rules go against Him, he was no longer okay with the rules and now wanted a little bit of grace. And I have found this to be true in most. Cases. As long as things are going our way, or at least leaving us alone and not impacting us, then we are okay with the rules. But the moment that the rules go against us, or they impede our ability to do whatever it is that we want to do, we are no longer okay with those rules. And the truth is, though, that rules are often needed. Sure, rules can be, can be bad. They can be designed for oppression or other horrible things. However, when rules are done correctly, they, they provide us with guidelines and directions for how to play. And I think you all know by now that I love playing games. One of my favorite games to play is chess. And it's piece of chess has a different rule for how it can move. And there's rules for how we play against each other, what's allowed, what's not allowed. Now, can you imagine trying to play a game of chess where I could just make up whatever rule I wanted to and say, okay, well, this piece becomes the world dominator and a moon, like I I win automatically and we haven't even started. That wouldn't be fun anymore. Or you all like, or at least you know what solitaire is, right? The game where you can play by yourself with cards and that game only works because there are rules of what is okay and what is not okay. If there were no rules, you now don't have a game. All you have are a deck of cards that you are just randomly doing whatever it is that you feel necessary to do. Rules offer us with the guidelines that we need to know what we are doing and when we're playing a game also to know how to win. And the same thing applies to Christianity. If we are to walk like Christ, if we are to be transformed into the image of God, then we must know what that is. We must know what the walk is. We must know what the image looks like which also means that there are things that if it's not within the image, it means that some of these things don't work. They're not allowed. Imagine if I told you to to draw a circle on a piece of paper and color it green, but instead you decided to draw a triangle and color it pink. Did you follow the instructions in that moment? You didn't, and you can't in that moment. You cannot tell me that you drew a green circle because instead you drew a pink triangle. And so if, using that same concept, if God looks a certain way, then logically speaking, something that is not that way would therefore be wrong. Like in one essence, a green circle looks this way, so therefore a pink triangle would have to be wrong if what we're trying to do is a green circle. And so, if God looks a certain way, if if walking like Christ looks a certain way, if there are certain rules for what it means to be a Christian, if these all apply here, that means anything outside of these is no longer okay. We could say that those are wrong. Those are against the rules. And and just backing up here a little bit of a recap, because it's been a few weeks since we've been in Ephesians, Paul has been leading us up throughout the last four chapters of Ephesians to this moment where he's constantly reminding us that we as Christians, we are called to live worthy of the walk, that we are called to be transformed into the image of God, which is of true holiness and righteousness. And then Paul reminds us reminds us that we have been saved and we have been set free by Jesus, and therefore all of us should respond with praise and love. He tells us that we should desire more of Christ. He reminds us how we are all together, the body of Christ, built up into a spiritual house, which is where the Spirit of God dwells. That we are to be united together, that we should encourage and equip and build each other up. And then from all of that, Paul moves on to how we should live our lives as Christians. He says that the first thing that we need to do, this is what we reviewed last time, was from chapter 4 verses 23 and 24. It should be on the screen. Paul says that we are to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and Holiness. He used this image of how we have these, this old self, which are these old clothes that we must take off. And now we are to put on this new self, which happens by mean, being made new in the attitude of our minds. And now Paul will provide us with, with lists and examples of what it looks like to be a Christian. I call them the the do's and don'ts of Christianity. We could think of them like the rules or guidelines, similar to playing a game where it is important to know the rules. And the list that he gives us, it's not all encompassing. He doesn't take the time to list out every single thing that is a do or a don't for all of time. He doesn't go back and say, well, historically, here were all the do's and don'ts as of today, which for us is 2,000 years ago. He doesn't say, today, here's an an all-encompassing list. And he doesn't say, hey, for all future, no matter what the culture looks like, here is a big list. Instead, what he does is he talks through these as like categories or some things are very specific to what is going on in the Ephesian church. But what they all share, what they all have in common, something that we can draw from and apply to our lives today is that they are all about our motives. The reasons that we are choosing to do something or not something, what really matters is the why, our motive behind it. And so we are in Ephesians chapter 4. And we are starting in verse 25, and we're going to read a rather large chunk. So we're, we're in Ephesians 4, starting at verse 25, and we are going to read through chapter 5, verse 5. Okay. Okay. I'm there. I forgot to pull my place. This is how long it normally takes you all to get to your place. And I, I just sit up here and I wait for you to turn there. So now I got to experience that with you. And again, as I read through these, these rules and examples, I want you to remember that again, it's all about our motives and the center of this entire thing Paul started with that we are called to live worthy of our calling, to live worthy of the example that, that Christ gives gives us. And so he gives us these, this list, these things that are not okay and things that are okay. And as we read through it together, I want you to start thinking and evaluating your own life here. What are some areas where I am following the rules? And what are some areas that I might actually be out of bounds that the referee might actually call me out on? Starting in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, Being, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk Foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Paul is, he's really, he's addressing two different things here. He he is addressing our internal feelings and our external responses. We could almost think of them as a, a cause and effect, an internal feeling or a thought which leads to an external response. And everything starts with. Us. It begins in our mind or our emotions. And then from there, then we decide how we respond to those thoughts and feelings, which again take us right back to our motive. And there are several examples and things that Paul mentions here, but the biggest three categories that he talks about are anger, greed, And language. And again, he looks at both the internal and external forms of these three things what happens on the inside of us and how we respond externally. Starting with anger in verse uh, 31 of chapter 4, he tells us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Now, pause for a moment. Anger is a human emotion. And as an emotion, it is not necessarily bad or wrong. It's not that we can't be mad. It's not that we can't have anger. What Paul is saying is that we shouldn't have intense rage or bitterness that we dwell on. And then he gets to the cause and the effect. He says in verse 26, he says that we can't let our anger cause us to sin. Meaning that we can't let our internal feeling cause an external response of sin. And so we must deal with our internal anger quickly. Paul even says that we must deal with it before the sun goes down. Because if we don't then that anger just grows, it, it festers, it gets worse and worse. And if it's not dealt with, then that leads us to acting upon that anger, which is often a sin. Now, literally dealing with this anger before the sun goes down is not always possible. Like if we take it to the extreme, imagine that something happens at that that moment where the sun is actually setting and you haven't even had a chance to process it or even realize that this thing actually made you angry and then all of a sudden the sun goes down. Now have you lost your opportunity to do that? No, of course not. That's not what Paul is talking about. The language that Paul is using is very specific to the culture because back then their 20 four-hour day cycle was sundown to sundown, meaning the moment that the sun goes down, it is technically the new day. Back then they didn't have clocks. They didn't have a big old grandfather clock that would swing and sway. They didn't have minutes to count down. They had a sundial and they had, well, I mean, it's high noon, the sun is high, sundown, sunrise, somewhere in between. They would just kind of divide up the position of the sun that way so they didn't have our minutes. And so if we were to retranslate into today's language, we would say, deal with your anger today before tomorrow comes. The intent, again, is that we must deal with our anger as soon as possible. Because, again, it's not always possible to deal with our anger today before tomorrow actually begins. The, the entire idea that Paul is getting at is that we shouldn't go days and days and days letting all of those feelings of anger grow inside of us. Because if they're not dealt with, eventually we will just explode. Have you ever had one of those moments where you were just angry and angry and all of a sudden you just exploded on somebody, whether that individual deserved it or not? You're like this pot of water that is just boiling and boiling and boiling with a lid and finally it reaches the point where the water boils out over top and whoever is standing by is just going to get burnt by whatever explosion that you have. Paul is stating that our internal anger leads to inappropriate, sinful responses. And Paul says that these responses can either come through our actions, which in verse 34, he, he describes as brawling and malice, which are fighting or having intention to do evil things. He says it can come through our actions or it can come through our speech. Verses 29 and 30, he, he says that we shouldn't have unwholesome talk that we shouldn't have any slander in our speech, meaning our speech should not cause harm to other people. This is talking about how, how we shouldn't call people names. We shouldn't be spreading rumors of other people. We shouldn't be causing division between the body of Christ by what we say. And again, these are examples of how we can let our internal anger lead to an external response of sin. So then the question is, how do we deal with that anger? Because we can't avoid feeling anger. It is an emotion that God has created us with. And that emotion is not Bad. However, there is something that we can do to make sure that our anger does not lead to sin. And Paul gives us that answer in verse 32. He tells us to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. These are all examples of what the opposite of anger looks like. Instead of being mean, we are kind. Instead of jumping to a conclusion, we have compassion and understanding. Instead of holding a grudge, we seek forgiveness. And he says in verse 29 that instead of unwholesome talk, which causes division, we should speak only what is helpful for building others up. To walk like Christ means that we are kind and compassionate and forgiving, that our speech builds people up instead of tearing them down. And then after anger, he moves on to greed. He, he says that our internal greed can lead to inappropriate and sinful responses. For example, Paul talks about stealing. He talks about lying and deceiving. He talks about lusting. And these are all examples of greed. They are examples of where we have this internal desire for something that we do not currently have, and then we act upon that internal desire with our external response. If we see something nice that we want, the external response of sin would be to just simply take it or to steal it. If we desire internally for somebody to think think a certain way they want to us to or we want them to think about us in a certain way or we want them to think something our external response of sin would be to lie to that individual or to deceive them in some way which in my book are pretty much the same thing lying and deceiving what you're doing is trying to trick their mind because you desire for them to think a certain thing so therefore you lie and you deceive to make them think that or he says that if we if if we internally desire some one an individual then the external response would be to go after that person which usually leads to inappropriate sexual activities meaning outside of marriage or some type of impurity that distorts god's design for what marriage really Is And so Paul says, instead of responding in sin through those external ways, we should, verse 28, we should work to do something useful with our hands so that we actually have something to share. Instead of stealing or lying or deceiving, what if we work to get what we need and then have an abundance that we can now share with other people? Because sharing would be the opposite of greed. And then from here, he moves on to language. This is the last category here. He's hinted at this already with not attacking people by our words. But then he continues in verse four of chapter five. He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place. Paul is talking about a few different types of speech here. Obscenity would mean profanity. As Christians, we should not be using profanity in our speech. Foolish talk would mean things that that are unwise or untrue, that, that are not profitable, that are just worthless and unnecessary to talk about. Two quick examples about Foolish Talk is, is imagine that you hear a rumor that your job is gonna begin laying off people soon. And this is just a rumor, it has yet to be confirmed. Foolish Talk would be going around and sharing this rumor with other people and then talking about all of your theories for why that could possibly be true. We would say something like, well, remember last month when they spent all this money doing this, so now I bet now that They have to let people go. Continuing in this rumor, which has yet to be actually proven to be true, is just foolish because we don't know if it is true. It's it's worthless and unnecessary to even talk about. Another example is you're with a friend and someone of the opposite gender walks by that is attractive. Foolish talk would be talking with your friend about how attractive that other individual is. Because really it's foolish because it does absolutely no good. And often it just leads to the third type of speech that Paul mentioned here, which is coarse joking. And this is really inappropriate joking. Things that are inappropriate behavior, whether sexual or not. It is behavior that goes against what God desires. And if a behavior or an action is not Christian, if it's not within God's image, then not only should we not participate in it, but we shouldn't even joke about it. We shouldn't even find that funny. And yes, that also includes, that's what she said, jokes. This is the category that that would fall in here. And let me add to this that I know that if Paul were writing this today in the 21st century, he would also add to this. Now hear me, I'm not adding to scripture, just reinterpreting. Because I know that if he were here, he would add additional examples and state that speech does not just mean what physically leaves our lips, what physically comes out of our mouth. Speech also includes writing, like texts or emails. It includes social media posts. It even includes sharing social media posts regardless of if you have written it or not. These would be examples of either foolish talk because we're just sharing something that goes against God or we are sharing something that is outside of what God deems as as appropriate. And so instead of doing all of these things, Paul says at the end of verse 4 that our talk should be of thanksgiving. So instead of profanity, we give praise. Instead of foolishness, our speech is full of wisdom. Instead of coarse joking, our speech is clean and filled with joy. And all of this comes back to the main point, which again is our motive. Our intent and motive should be to walk like Christ. To grow into the image of God, which requires us to put God... First. And all of these rules, these do's and don'ts are all there so that we know how to play the game, so that we know what it means to live like Jesus. And as I'm sure you noticed, all of these rules are about either loving God or loving neighbor, because when we break these rules, someone is going to get hurt. When we respond in anger, we are no longer acting in love. When we steal and lie for our internal greed, we are no longer acting in love. When our speech is not wholesome and holy, building each other up as we are called to do, then we are no longer acting in love. Following these rules helps us love God and love neighbor better. I took all the things that Paul did and I, I reordered it into a, just a straight, here's what you should do. I removed the don'ts and just put in all the things that you should do. This will be on the screen as, as I read this here with you. If we remove all of this and kind of reorder it, this is what Paul is saying. We are all members of one body. We are all dearly loved children and we are all sealed for the day of redemption. God has forgiven us. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Therefore, follow God's example, walk in the way of love, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgive each other, share with those in need, speak truthfully, speak with thanksgiving, and speak only what is helpful for building others This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it looks like to walk like Jesus. Our motives should be for loving God and loving others. Our motives should be about doing whatever is helpful for building others up. Why do we do this? Because God loves us, because he sacrificed himself for us. How do we do this? because we 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 follow his examples we choose to love god and we choose to love other people but the truth is that we can only do this because of god these things that paul outlined they are really similar to the fruit of the spirit when jesus was alive he said that a true disciple a true Christian would be known by the fruit in their life. You would be able to walk up to somebody and just like you can tell the difference between an apple tree and a, a pear tree or a grapefruit tree or whatever, you fill in the blank fruit. Just be, just in the same way that you can identify a tree by their fruit, you should be able to walk up to a random stranger and go, wow, you are a Christian. I can see that all over you by the fruit that you Bear. And Paul interprets this or gives us examples in Galatians 5.22. He says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the truth is that we can only do these things because we have been called. Because God began a new work in us. Because we have become a new creation where we've taken off our old self and we have put on our new self. Somebody that is not following Christ cannot do these things. Somebody that is not following Christ would look at this list and be like, well I can't do that. I can't do that. I guess I'm not good enough. And the truth is that's true. You can't do that. You are not good enough. And that is the point of the Bible. We by our are not good enough, we require God to come in because God is good enough and he is so good that it overflows onto us. The only reason that we can act and live this way is because Jesus is in our life. It is because the Holy Spirit that is in us, we take off our old self and we put on our new self. The truth is that we are all part of a larger game. We're all part of a larger mission, a larger story. We are all pieces in this game and games require rules for us to follow. These rules are not created to try and control us, but rather these rules exist so that we can maintain unity together. And this game that we are playing is the mission of God. We are called to be on God's team. We are called to continue and join God on his mission. In our passage, verse 30 of chapter 4, Paul said that, that we should not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And that word grieve, we, we immediately think of we're grieving, we are mourning. But in this context, that's not what Paul is talking about. He's using this word to state that we should not go against what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. It means that we are working against what the Spirit is doing or rather we're trying to work against what the Spirit is doing because the truth is that the Holy Spirit is alive and active. The Spirit is moving and doing wonderful things around us. The Spirit is trying to actively build us up and keep us held together by equipping us together for the good works that he has called us to do. And so every time that we go against these rules, it leads to division and it leads to hurt. And if the Spirit is actively working to build us up and keep us united, then when we break these rules, it means that we are actively going against what God is actively doing. Therefore, we must not go against the Spirit, but rather we must work with the Spirit. And we do that by working and living in love, by walking in a way that is worthy of the calling that we have received. Let's be honest for a moment. We are all in some way guilty of not following these rules sometimes. We are guilty of letting our anger get the best of us, of letting our greed get the best of us, of letting our speech get the best of us because we are not perfect. Our call today is to choose Jesus. Our goal today is to allow the Holy Spirit to take over and to allow the Holy Spirit to help us control our internal feelings so that they don't lead to external sins. Right before this passage that that we read, as we looked at a few weeks ago, Paul said that we must allow the Spirit to change our mind, to change our thinking. And now Paul is saying that we must allow the Spirit to change our actions and our, our responses. And so as we close out in prayer, I would encourage you to ask God to reveal the ways that you've been letting your internal feelings lead to external sin. And then ask the Holy Spirit to come in and help bring about a new change in your life. Pray with me. Father, we want to choose you. God, we desire more of you but we need your help. We need your help to choose you. We need your help to control our internal feelings. We need your help to take off all of our old clothes so that we can put on this new clothes. God, we need more of you. God, I know that it's uncomfortable. I know that... That when sin is called out in our lives, we have a tendency to ignore it. But God, I'm asking that you would reveal it to us. That you would convict us of ways that we're not following the rules. That we are not living like you. Help us see the ways that our actions may be causing hurt and division amongst your church. God, in this moment, I pray for unity, not just with our local church, but but across the world. God, you know what has been going on around the world. You know what has been going on around social media in these past few weeks. You know the ways that people are, are fighting, the ways that people are being divided. God, we pray that you would bring unity, that you would bring people back together, that you would bring us back into your Presence. God, we pray for a new heart, a new mind, a new way of living life. God, you are wonderful. And we pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at Church or our website, rnas.church.